It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Welcome back to the program. Great to have Amin Al Hassan, who will fill in. If I'm gone or if Kirk's gone, we can always count on uh, Amin to step in for us. Uh, a little later in the program, we'll jump inside uh, our, our neck of the woods, the National Basketball Association Social Justice Award, named for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We have the finalists. We'll run through each one and everything that they're up to, trying to change this world for the better. Uh, a little bit later in the program, groundbreaking collective bargaining agreement uh, with uh, the soccer players in America and their foundation, both men and women's teams, by the way. Uh, but I want to start off with a follow-up on a story I was so fired up about, and then I had to get, to get on a plane, and Amin was kind enough to be on the program, and we're talking about um, the Delaware State women's lacrosse team, and they had their bus searched for drugs in uh, Liberty County, Georgia, during what was supposed to be just a standard uh, stop of their bus as they were just in transit. Uh, and since that conversation on the program and really the, the growing acknowledgement of the story, uh, what has occurred is just several things. Obviously, there are more people talking about the story, I mean, but also, uh, and I want to tell the story about Howard's women's lacrosse team as well. I don't know if you guys touched on that uh, last week of what occurred uh, in February to them, but the Duke and John Hopkins women's lacrosse teams held a protest at the start of their tournament first round matches on Friday uh, as they showed support for both teams. Uh, for those that maybe missed the story about Delaware State, just takes a little bit deeper there, I mean, and then I'll, I'll uh, follow up with more of what happened to the Howard women's lacrosse team uh, when they were playing at uh, Presbyterian in February. Yeah, absolutely. So the Delaware State uh, women's lacrosse team had attended a tournament down in Florida. They were returning back home to Delaware by a bus as the bus obviously travels northward through Georgia. They got stopped uh, by a poli state police, uh, state sheriff, because the bus was in the left lane and not in the right lane. It was one of those stretches of highway where the bus is buses and large vehicles are prohibited from being in the left lane. Seems like something that should be fairly routine. Get your ticket handed to the driver and keep it moving. But that's not what happened. Police boarded the bus, then informed uh, the team that they were going to have to search the bus because there was probable cause of uh, perhaps trafficking narcotics or even sex trafficking, child trafficking, what have you. So they went underneath the bus, pulled out the bags, emptied the bags fully, uh, and detained these uh, poor young women and, and, and the coaching staff and other administrators on the bus for no royal reason other than to have kind of, I guess, a, a jolly laugh about it. Um, the One of the team players filmed the part of the incident and posted it on YouTube, and that's kind of why it went viral, where everyone saw the police officer kind of giving a speech that 
you know, was just, I, I, can't, I can't even describe it. I haven't watched it myself. It, it, it's just breathtaking to see someone sit here and pretty much uh, cre- create the circumstances for a, a search and seizure. Of course, there was nothing seized because there was nothing in the bus. Again, it's an NCAA Division One college team returning from a tournament, riding a bus that was pulled over for being in the quote-unquote wrong lane. Uh, so that's the kind of nuts and bolts of the story, and I urge everyone who who hasn't uh, been caught up to go ahead and and look it up and watch the video because it is, as I said, pretty breathtaking. NBC News reported in February about the Howard women's lacrosse team hearing threats and slurs during a game at uh, Presbyterian College on February 15th. Bad look for the Presbyterians, by the way, just heads up on that front. Uh, but uh, not not to disparage the entire uh, denomination, of course. But but uh, it, 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 what I like here, and what we saw going back a couple summers ago, are contemporaries being aware of what's happening to people their same age. That they might not be on the same team, they might not even be in the same region, but these young women are playing the same sport, and so you have protests happening uh, in NCAA tournaments. Uh, it was, I think, Vermont and Denver, Stony Brook and Drexel. And then, of course, these are these programs at Johns Hopkins, as well as uh, Duke, the players from both of those programs, holding up their sticks and protests. Both schools released statements on, on their official team Twitter accounts. Uh, according to the Duke account, quote, before the start of our game today, we stood with Hopkins lacrosse as a show of solidarity and support of the Howard and Delaware State women's lacrosse teams, the only way we can have an anti-racist society is to call out racism when we see it. And me and you and I have talked about this many times. This is the issue. So many times with these incidents, there's so many of them that can wash over you if you do not stop and address each one. It is fatiguing. It is hard, but it's essential uh, on so many fronts. First of all, for those of us that are trying to create a society that is diverse and inclusive and reflects some layer of equality, uh, that we don't get lost and get numb in these moments of, ah, this is, this is how this goes. And it is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it, and I don't say it with any level of shame. Mm-hmm. It gets tiring it to does. say, okay, here's another thing that we have to address because of this foolishness. Right. And, and Jack's part and parcel of that is that of the, so many is that the severity of some versus the other. So a week ago, uh, Kirk and I talked about this and, and we, uh, we discussed it with the head coach of Delaware state. And, you know, we were talking about how traumatizing this must be for the, the young ladies on that, on that bus, 18, 19 years old. Lifetime. Uh, Having to go through something as humiliating as that, you know, they've got their personal belongings being sorted out on the side of the road. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, in the following days, we have the uh, the shooting in Buffalo. And so mm-hmm. as as a black man, I kind of feel like my cup of grief overfloweth. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, it's and it's it doesn't you know what happened in Buffalo is horrific. Um, you know, so many unarmed innocents being murdered uh, by someone for no other reason other than just straight racist ideology. Um, 
is that in a weird way, the news cycle makes us kind of move off of everything else. So how do I, how do all of us stay up abreast and on top of what's happening in the Delaware State when every, every day there's something new? Uh, it is truly the burden of all of us, right? Not just black people, but all of us. Because if we want to live in a caring society, a society that cares about equality, a society that cares about the safety and the sanctity of, of our citizens, then it can't be we just keep hitting a reset button and find something new to be outraged about or heard about or motivated by. We, we, we still have to kind of see these things through. And sometimes, as you said, that can be tiring. Delaware State University announced it will file a formal complaint with the United States Justice Department Civil Rights Division following all of this that occurred in Liberty County, Georgia, calling uh, the stop and search conducted by deputies there, quote, constitutionally dubious. You always got to be careful when you deal with the university uh, lawyers. They're coming at you with some syllables. <laughs> constitutionally you, dubious. You know, discovery is going to take a while. There's going to be some billable hours uh, on the, uh, the part of the Liberty County uh, officials. Uh, from their standpoint, the evidence is clear and compelling. This coming from uh, the university president, Tony Allen, who um, this story has been grabbed by NPR. So at, at this point, I mean, it, it's everywhere. And this is what it takes. Each individual scenario has to be rooted out. Uh, and, and it has to be a collective effort of not just these young people and their parents, but the full power uh, of the general counsel's office at their university. Right. And, and again, that makes that means it's a priority now. Uh, luckily, I don't know. I don't know if luckily is the right word, but Delaware State as being an HBCU. Luckily, they've got that kind of support. Right. That's that's the kind of thing. That's why HBCUs still exist, because they understand that the experience of the black student is a little different than that of. Uh, you know, white students or, or other ethnicities. And so you kind of do need this machine around to protect and to serve uh, these students. And so thankfully, like they, from the get-go, the school has been behind them 100%, the school leadership. Um, and now, of course, we're taking the next step and, and seeking kind of, you know, uh, a legal resolution to this because this shouldn't happen ladies and gentlemen again you watch that video it wasn't two in the morning it was nothing suspicious you pull them over for whatever reason you get on the bus you see everyone wearing team merch talk to an adult hey what's this hey we're coming from here okay well i'm gonna write your driver up you guys can't do that georgia state law you guys have a, a safe trip back that's how that thing should have gone. There's, I mean, unless they're pulling over every bus, every Greyhound bus, every Peter Pan, every every church charter, which I kind of find hard to believe. I feel like the, those guys got on that bus, saw the complexion of most people on the bus, and jumped to conclusions. And that is, as, as the legal department for Delaware State most elegantly put it, dubiously con unconstitutional. There was a press conference last week, I mean, in which the sheriff, William uh, Bauman, said uh, the, the team's Double bus down. was one of 
several stops that they had uh, that morning and that they found contraband on other buses that were pulled over and that the double oh. and that the deputies did not know the race or gender of the individuals inside the bus when it was pulled over. Okay. But once they got on the get bus, on, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's like, okay, that's fair. But you got on the bus, you asked a couple of questions as a police officer, you should know what, what, constitutes probable cause by just based on the circumstances is it likely that a division one university would also be trafficking narcotics and or sex trafficking does that make sense For, and, and and had they not been in the left lane would they have been pulled over anyway there's right. a lot of questions jacks you can ask them that really pokes holes. And that's, the I think, the upsetting part. The upsetting part is the sheriff had an opportunity to say, we blew it. You know, anniversary discipline, our, a verbal reprimand, or writing up the guy. But the idea of like, no, no, we're going to double down and say, yeah, they did everything absolutely right, and we do it again. It just it boggles my mind sometimes. Well, there's going to be a full review to have a bunch of these questions asked and answered now at this point as uh, you've had the Delaware State Attorney General uh, write the Department of Justice and also the officials in Georgia. Now the university filing uh, with the Civil Rights Office uh, with the Department of Justice. There's, no, there's going to be no way to get away from full questioning, uh, not just for the sheriff, but the deputies. And to this point, and I'm, I mean, I don't know if it came up in your conversation last week, there hasn't been an identification of the individuals who are actually on site. The sheriff kind of standing up as the shield for everyone, which I, I imagine that's the right thing for the force. Uh, but that's individual responsibility is important here. Yeah, well, we know what his face looks like. That's all <laughs> I can say. I, he's on the video. <laughs> he seems very sure of himself on the video, too. Oh, well, we keep an eye on... Uh, this story. I'm glad we had an update already. Uh, that's the one thing. Sometimes here on Forward Progress, it's it's months, if not a half a year or more before we're getting follow-ups on stories. But to know that uh, we're part of the leading edge of the conversation and that it's going in the directions of discovery and, and justice uh, are a positive thing. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we know the finalists. Uh, for those individuals who around the NBA are doing everything they can to keep the uh, power and presence of social justice and that message and activity pushing throughout NBA cities. The finalists for the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Award, right in front of you when we come back on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Forward Progress continues. Amin Al Hassan in for Kirk Morrison. Jason Jackson here with you this week. NBA announced its finalists, five of them for the 2022 Kareem Abdul Jabbar Social Justice Award. Uh, the five finalists represent the year's most impactful social justice advocates who are continuing the NBA players' decades long tradition of activism. Those individuals are from the Dallas Mavericks, Reggie Bullock, uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks, Drew Holiday, from the Memphis Grizzlies, Jaron Jackson, from the Minnesota Timberwolves, Carl Anthony Towns, and from the Toronto Raptors, Fred Van Vliet. The one thing I like about this collection, I mean, is that you're getting 
guys on different parts of their timeline. You also have some all-stars. You have some role players. It, this particular award is about what you are doing, not what your name is and how you uh, shine, per se, but right. the light that you're shining on pursuing social justice and advancing uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's life mission to encourage, empower, and drive equality for individuals and groups. Yeah, especially considering, you know, obviously when you are a bigger name player, your impact, your reach is understandably further than that of a smaller name player. But the idea here isn't just about impact and reach, although that is, of course, much appreciated. It's also just about the diligence of your work towards uh, your your specific angle of, of uh, social justice. And as you mentioned, we've got a couple of all-stars. We've got a couple of up, up-and-coming guys. And then you also have uh, a role player involved as well. And, and, and that's, that's nice. It's nice to see, and it's nice to, I think, set an example for the other players in the league that, hey, this isn't just the domain of the uber-rich and ultra-famous. Right. You two can make a difference. Uh, in uh, in different communities. The winner will be announced during the Western Conference Finals on TNT and will receive a $100,000 donation from the NBA uh, for a social justice organization of the winner's choosing. The other four finals uh, each select a social justice organization to receive $25,000 on their behalf. You might recall Carmelo Anthony was named the inaugural Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, social justice champion at the end of last season. Let's walk through uh, these gentlemen and what they're, uh, what they're impacting uh, in their space. Let's start off with Reggie Bullock. He's been an avid advocate for uh, LGBTQ equality throughout his NBA career, uh, continuing his efforts uh, in Dallas uh, following the 2014 murder of his sister, uh, Maya Henderson, who, who was transgender. Bullock has focused on acceptance of all people by working to create truly inclusive communities uh, through neighborhood engagement, national efforts around LGBTQ movement, including uh, participating in uh, Pride March in New York, GLAAD Media Awards, uh, NBA events for young folks and allies. Uh, This is in his soul. Uh, You have this type of occurrence within your family that close to you uh, this isn't work you're doing in the community. This is what radiates from you. Yeah, and it, and it almost ended his career, to be honest with you, in terms of him dealing with that grief of having his sister murdered. Uh, you know, he went through a couple years there after that incident where he he played sparingly and didn't play in many games. And a lot of that, I, I believe, is connected to him grieving what happened to his sister. But, you know... Yep. He's managed to turn, you know, turn a tra- absolutely tragic event into something that hopefully can change a lot of lives and bring about um, not just awareness but um, enlightenment. I think to people about you know just how to treat others, how to treat people with equality. Uh, and uh, you know, again, Reggie's a great example of hey, you don't have to be a superstar athlete to be one of these people who can affect serious change. And his work in that regard is, is truly remarkable and praiseworthy. Bullock has selected Kinston Teens as the recipient of his donation, be it the big $100,000 or the $25,000, which, by the way, I'm not saying is not impactful, but that 
That big, that big cash is something else that's changing. Uh, Drew Holiday, who's consistently in this space, continued to support Black-led organizations and Black-owned businesses in Milwaukee and beyond. Uh, his family foundation with his wife, Lauren, uh, has provided funding and support to minority businesses to address social and economic inequality that continues to uh, prevent Black communities from upward mobility. In February of this very year, he and his wife launched the third round of grant funding, committing another $1 million to Black-owned business and nonprofits in Milwaukee, New Orleans, Indianapolis, and Los Angeles. I mean, yeah, and the great thing about Drew Holiday, obviously, if you remember, going back to the bubble, he donated his entire salary, Jax, right. to uh, to uh, black empowerment and black-owned uh, businesses uh, to kind of uplift. The, um, the organizations that he partners with uh, recognize the 360-degree model of providing funds, programming, and services – you know, and, and so it's not just about just giving money, but also training and uh, basically allowing people to uh, create for themselves and create for others as a result. And so, you know, Drew Holiday has always been one of those guys who's been at the forefront of these type of initiatives. And, uh, you know, this is, again, this last year has been a, a different. And big cash. Um, yes. That that. Had- comes right out of uh, the family pocket, by yep. the way. They might do a little fundraising, uh, which has been tough to do, taken from me over the last uh, couple of years. So uh, kudos to the Holiday family. They've selected Urban Underground as the recipient for his donation. Turning our attention to uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, for the past several years, Jackson has been focused on advancing health and economic equity in Black and Brown communities, uh, creating women empowerment initiatives and increasing voter awareness, understanding the pandemic's impact on communities of color. Uh, Jackson has worked to provide custom masks for black and brown families, supply PPE to communities, uh, provide meals for those working at COVID testing locations, and using his voice in the NBA's uh, COVID-19 PSAs uh, to encourage encourage all to get vaccinated. Uh, Such a critical voice uh, for number one, a community that was, and many folks still remain skeptical uh, about taking a vaccine that is thrust and encouraged by uh, government, and rightfully so within the Black community. Conversation I'd have with my mother for a month at the ski experiment project, bleep hole dynamic all came crashing to the forefront of her mind. Anybody of her age and any of us who are willing enough to look deep into uh, American history and particularly the impact negative on black folks, you realize, listen, if that's doable, that means it's repeatable. And right. to convince many corners of this community that this wasn't that took some energy and effort. And it's awesome that this young man was a part of that and so many other things that are part of this world we are now continuing to experience uh, the impact of COVID-19. Yeah, and and Jaron to me represents kind of the new generation of athlete. Uh, who many athletes, of course, you, you grow up in certain circumstances and you get to the league, and as you become more traveled and you know meet more people, you begin to find your social justice voice, the way you want to make a difference in your community. 
beyond just you know making money and paying taxes. Jaron was that way coming into the league. Uh, if you remember on draft night, he walks out and he opens his suit, and the inside of his suit had the Rock the Vote uh, logo imprinted in there. I know um, we've talked to him, we've interviewed him here on SiriusXM at NBA Radio. Uh, him and his father surrounding uh, voter registration initiatives and, and just the importance of civic engagement. So um, it, it's, it is, you know, it's uplifting, to be honest with you, Jackson, know that the coming generations, they don't have to get old and grizzled in order to realize, hey, you know, it's not just enough to me, for me to be successful. I've got to leave my impact on the world. They're coming in now with that ethos in mind and, Darren Jackson Jr. is a great ambassador for that. It comes as no surprise that he selected Rock the Vote as the recipient uh, for his donation as they maintain their connection. Let's turn our attention to Carl Anthony Towns, uh, who has devoted his time, platform, and resources uh, to health equity and education since the onset of COVID-19. Uh, and obviously, with the impact of that disease on his family, uh, the loss of his mother and so many other family members, it, it's not shocking that he would be locked in a place where he's been working with the NBA on a vaccine PSA, um, that he's working with the Q Health folks to provide uh, 100 COVID-19 tests and kits to more than 50 different schools. So do that math, <laughs> 5,000 kids, uh, both in New Jersey and uh, Minnesota a part of the get a shot, give a shot campaign to promote flu vaccines as well. Let's not forget about those, everybody. That's one thing about COVID-19. Your mind can shift off all the other things that used to impact our health. They're still around. uh, Those things are still here and present. Yep, Yep, absolutely. And, and, you know, towns exists at, you know, the probably the most devastating nexus of the pandemic, right? Which is on the one hand, you have this, terrible virus that as you said claimed family members for him multiple family members not just his mother um going through grief that i I, it's unimaginable i can't imagine what kind of grief he's had to have and then at the same time obviously the epicenter of the racial strife of 2020 and the george floyd incident that happened in minneapolis and so carl is you know his engagement his involvement has been on a twofold front and you know again Jax we talked about it earlier where you and I and and many many others how much fatigue we feel of every day you know a different story of of racial prejudice uh, manifesting itself in so many different ways whether it's a a a, an unlawful traffic stop or, or the murdering of innocents um, and here you have Carl Anthony Towns, who's rolling up his sleeves and working, you know, deep in this and also on the other thing that's impacting all society right now, which is COVID-19 and getting people to behave safely and do take the steps necessary uh, so that what happened to his family doesn't have to happen to other families. Uh, just remarkable, remarkable responsibility there by Carl Anthony Towns. As you alluded to, I mean, beyond the health equity, Towns donated $20,000 to the George Floyd Foundation 
in partnership with JD Sports. That was in the summer of 21 uh, and made a $30,000 donation to Vera Institute of Justice, which works to end the over-criminalization and mass incarceration of people of color, immigrants, and people experiencing poverty. We should note that Towns continues to serve as a board member of the National Basketball Social Justice Coalition, and he has selected the George Floyd Memorial Foundation as the recipient for his donation. Uh, last but not least, Fred Van Vliet. Uh, he's been a leader and champion around social justice, inspiring teammates to find their own voice in his pursuit to create equity in education. He created the Fred Van Vliet Scholarship back in December 2021, a full academic scholarship for Black or Indigenous students to pursue four years of higher education in Canada and receive mentorship from Van Vliet himself to shape the reality for the student after their academic career. Uh, this speaks to me most because I, I I speak to this all the time. You've been to a couple Jack's Fam Foundation events where I'm like, man, there are big organizations that do big things. Mm -hmm. uh, but what happens sometimes is that they're too big and some things get lost in the process. Some people don't even get identified. And so I love that Fred is saying, here's what I'm going to do. I've identified a student in a four-year rotation from the place where I live and work. I'm going to mentor them personally. And what I hope right. this becomes is a cycle that he's actually touching the individual that he's changing in that space. So many times you can throw a net out there and you're hopeful that you're reaching and touching the masses. But man, when you go one-on-one -on -one and you can see the people slash person that you're lifting, man, it, it's, it's something else. Yeah. And you know, the, 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 the crazy thing about all the work that all these foundations do, you know, in Fred's case is they're addressing things that in a perfect society we wouldn't need private citizens to address, right? They're addressing, so in Fred's case, he's addressing education equality, which is a ridiculous term. Why do we shouldn't even need to define it as such, right? If you think about it, the model education should be available to all who seek to take advantage of it. And the idea that whether it's Fred Van Vliet, whether it's Jason Jackson, or, or any of these other uh, fine young, young people, that they're addressing things that should have been addressed already by the people we pay taxes to is, is kind of, it's heartbreaking on one hand. It's like, wow, these people would have been forgotten pretty much. They would have been left behind. But it is also uplifting in the sense that the generosity of all these guys and, and, and you know, what Fred's doing, you're absolutely right, Jax. The hope is when you do this on a one-to-one -one level, this inspires that person to go ahead and do that to someone else and so on and so forth. And you get right. this kind of uh, explosion of everybody helping everybody else, paying it forward, so to speak. A pyramid scheme that feels good. <laughs> it's like it, it's yeah. actually rolling out the way it's actually supposed to multiply. Yeah. By the way, uh, Van Vliet co-hosts Bet on Yourself, a social justice podcast dedicated to shining a light on and uplifting, uh, struggling or up and coming entrepreneurs um, of color. And he's working on the next season of that, plus an additional scholarship like the one we talked about in his hometown of Rockford, Illinois. He selected uh, Penny Appeal Canada as a recipient 
of his donation. Congratulations to all the finalists uh, that uh, are a part of everything going on with the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar trophy coming to that individual who is at the highest order of social justice in the NBA for the season. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, groundbreaking collective bargaining in the world of soccer. That is next here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Thanks for rolling with us all the way through Forward Progress. I mean, I'll has it in for Kirk Morrison. Jason Jackson here with you. And, I mean, we have a, a, a wonderful segment on Sundays on Sirius XM NBA Radio entitled The News According to Us. And I usually read the headline and then I set you up for um, your response. This headline here is something else. Uh, United States Soccer Federation, Women's and Men's National Team Unions agree to historic collective bargaining agreements. Uh, The United States Soccer Foundation, the United States Women's National Team Players Association, and the United States National Soccer Team Players Association uh, have come together on a collective bargaining agreement that runs through 2028 to achieve equal pay through identical economic terms. These economic terms include identical compensation for all competitors, including FIFA World Cup and the introduction of the same commercial revenue sharing mechanism for both teams. The agreements will ensure that the United States soccer senior national team players remain among the highest paid in the world. So, so many things get achieved in a space where the women have been working for this and rightfully so, for so many reasons, we'll get to it in a sec, uh, for what feels like over a decade now. Um, let's get the first kind of reasonable slash still Neanderthal argument out of the way. Let's let's do that first. Okay. In that even with the lack of success, and that's what the women can stand on. Listen, we win, yeah. right? We we're, We go compete and we win. Not to crush the fellas, right? Yeah. But let's compensate us on that space. And we're not even asking for more. We're just asking for the same. The challenge that comes is you have to be, as the Federation, a steward of the game, not just the business through which all of this this runs through. The easy thing is even with the men not being as successful, their partnerships and sponsorships and revenue is larger. And you then have to say, there's more to this than that. That if you are going to be the gold standard of competition for us, we respect that more than anything else. Yeah, and and more than more than just words, right? Because a lot of times that's what happens, Jax, right? When you have a marginalized uh, portion demographic that's complaining about inequalities of a certain type. What we get is a lot of rhetoric and talking, right? Even if they acknowledge, right? A lot of them they don't even acknowledge, as you pointed out. So you got to get right. past that hurdle. But then the, the the comfort zone for a lot of these institutions is, hey, we're sorry. You know what we're going to do? This month on the calendar here, we're going to talk about pioneers and people who broke through barriers. And we're all going to wear a certain color and, and salute you. And that's it. Nothing real actually happens. And so what makes this collective bargaining agreement different is we have in writing things that are happening. Number one, 
we have a revenue share between the federation and the players associations a 50 50 revenue share on uh, commercial revenue share uh, uh broadcast partner and sponsorship revenue now you you might say the federation doesn't have a lot of money to be paying out huge salaries and i, I would tend to agree most federations don't even the great teams in the world you know most of those players are playing. They're playing out of kind of a labor of love there sure. for, for their country. It's not meant to be a main source of income. However, when you are signing deals with ESPN and Fox right. and uh, Coca-Cola and Nike and all of these things on the contributions of these players, it would seem fair to get get a little kickback on that. And so that's big. The other big thing is, and and this is the part that I won't lie because we're recording this right around the time that the the news is broken, is uh, the equalization of the World Cup prize money. Right. And basically what's happened is both the women's and men's teams have agreed to pool and share a portion of prize money paid for the team's participation in the 2022 Men's World Cup and the 2023 Women's World Cup. And in this arrangement, the players on the men's roster and on the women's roster will be paid an equal percentage of the collective prize money paid by FIFA from the team's participation and performance in the respective World Cups. The reason why I ask this question is, Jax, if I'm the women and I go out and win <laughs> our World Cup and the men don't even get out the first round, I kind of feel like it should be proportionate towards performance within respective competitions. I guess the counter-argument would be, well, without it, doing it this way, removing the performance element out of it actually kind of increases the share because it's a slice of a bigger pie for both sides. It's also critical by the way the non-economic terms right we we our attention most of us and you're better uh at, at paying attention to the world's game than i am uh our attention swells during the world cup periods right and, and qualification leading up um but the non-economic terms are so important to the everyday life of everyone right we're talking about health and safety uh the data privacy let's be real uh, about how important that is, and, and to need to balance responsibilities to both club and country. Soccer is so vast, right? For the American sports fan, most of us don't see it in the proper terms because we're looking at it through youth into high school and college. And then we keep seeing kind of these leagues that are, you know, the engine that could, but then another iteration after there's a swelling of energy due to excitement and oftentimes that success uh domestically uh comes on the women's side yeah and, and it's it's weird Jax, because um there are we have soccer is a different sport here in the united states it's not like comparing the nba to the wnba or you know the usa men's basketball team to the women's basketball team no. because of soccer's relatively kind of still burgeoning or growing, 
popularity in this country, it is a lot more even. So I, I'll give you an example. This is from a few years ago, from 2019. The top four uh, games that were or ratings in, uh, in, for U.S. men's soccer was uh, USA-Costa Rica in February of 2019, 652,000. USA-Chile, March 26th, 552,000. USA-Panama, January 27th, 545,000. USA-Ecuador, March 21st, 419,000. On the women's side, number one, USA-England, March 2nd, 758,000. Mm. So, and it goes on for there, you get... 283, 278, 214. So there is a drop-off that happens. But I guess when you aggregate, you begin to notice, uh, I mean, it's not like, I mean, it's, it is not like comparing any other two sports, I would say, or any other sport with a right. men's and women's division. And so a lot of the, the arguments that are being made, yes, are about equality in terms of, especially from a, a national team standpoint. We're not talking about a business, as you said. Right. Um, a business that exists for business sake. But the other part of this is, hey, also, let's not act like seven people are watching women's soccer and the men are bringing in all these millions of viewers. They're kind of in the same boat. It's right. comparable. So even if we are just talking turkey, talking just straight greenbacks, you still don't have really had a leg to stand on as a federation to treat these, these champions the way they've had. Childcare now in place for matches and training camps. Apparently that's been happening for two and a half decades. Uh, a retirement plan now in place, 401k plan, matching up to 5% of the salaries. But probably the next layer outside of the money that really jumps off the page for me is learning a couple of years ago about the differential in facilities. And okay. now that will be evened up and the venues, fields, and surfaces uh, that are provided by U.S. soccer. It sounds, right, like almost I mean, insane to talk about, but there'll be equal quality of venues and field playing surfaces for both national teams. It's not unlike what we saw with the NCAA a couple of years ago, right, where the men the, oh. training facilities for the tournament. This is not because the individual universities and institutions are governed by Title IX. So, you know, if you go to, for instance, I live in, in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm an alma, alma mater of Arizona State. When I go to the Arizona State University basketball complex, mm -hmm. it is a large facility that is mirror image. You go to the left, the men's are on this side. You go to the right, women on this side. And they have the exact same facilities, same video room, same basketball courts. same. I mean, they have their own, but it's it's identical. It's if you. Put a mirror down the middle, you would not be able to tell the difference from one side to the other. Uh, at the NCAA tournament, you had the men's tournament having like this vast ballroom of state-of-the-art weightlifting equipment. And on the women's side, they had a couple of those like little dumbbells in a corner and a treadmill. I mean, it's insane, right? Uh, if you go to the, for instance, many of the, the NBA cities where the ownership group owns the WNBA team, like here in Phoenix, the, uh, Robert Sarver owns the Suns and he owns the Phoenix Mercury. Um, in the old facility when I worked there, yeah, we had the same, it was not even this, a similar practice court. It was the same practice court. You had to just schedule times. Hey, we're on now. You guys are on later. 
Now they have the new facility up uh, on on Camelback, uh, and that one is split again, where you have the women's side, the men's side, and they're identical. So the idea that the Federation would ever get away with playing services is just next level. This is not talking about dumbbells or having an extra basket to hoop on. It's like, wait, we're playing on a trash surface? This, you're risking America's best chance at winning in, in this sport by making them play on substandard fields? It's just ridiculous. Way to tighten that up. Um, as you and I both know that charter life is super important. Uh, there will oh, be an equal number of uh, charter flights for both national teams uh, during camps for travel to official competitions, uh, tournaments, and friendlies, by the way. I love that we're charting to the friendlies. Somewhere that, that, that feels like that could be a money saver for everybody. You can't have Alex, you can't have World Cup winning people riding, oh, man. boarding with me in group two. Like, come on, man. <laughs> come on. <laughs> we're not doing it. Finally, this uh, bargaining agreement will cover the next two World Cups and Olympic cycles. Uh, it'll keep the players among the highest paid national team players on the planet. Uh, the terms of the CBA, uh, the results of the extensive bargaining process among uh, soccer and the players associations have been already approved. They're ready to go. And, and it just really feels like, bottom line, I mean, that everyone is happy with this deal. That's the tough thing in labor agreements. Like you may get a good deal of what you want, but sometimes you're like, man, we can get everything we want. It is interesting. They, they seem to have gotten a lot of what they were asking for. If you follow the story is years in the making, by the way, this isn't just something that popped up in the last six months or so. So uh, many of these complaints have been very, very loudly made. Uh, and yeah, it feels like, many they they got almost everything they wanted uh i think one thing that we need to acknowledge too jacks and it's going to sound weird i think we need to acknowledge the men's players association as well mm. because i think without that cooperation this kind of change doesn't happen right they could have fought and said hey why are you taking our money well we ain't gonna you need to find more money for them somewhere else but they understood that being collaborative like this not only is the right thing to do, but also it is better for everybody. Ultimately, like they cover for you, not winning <laughs> in essence. So you, you, you want, you, it's okay to kind of let go of some of that money that perhaps you were entitled to before. Uh, but in many of these social issues, Jack's, you know, where we're trying again to address the needs of a marginalized population, there is some cooperation that needs to happen from the majority, from those who wouldn't stand to benefit directly in the moment, but overall as a society, we all do. I mean, we thank you for your impact here on Forward Progress uh, during the uh, OTA season, the draft season, uh, the pure off season for the NFL, and the second season for the NBA. Our schedules are getting thrown all around. So on behalf of Kirk and Brunel and our whole crew, we thank you for stepping in for us from time to time. Thanks for having me. For Amin El Hassan, sitting in for Kirk Morrison and our producer, Brunel Brown, I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress.